Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We'll pick up with where we left off. If you recall, we finished through verse 11 in our previous study. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17, but we're not going to cover all of that. This is going to be, uh, as I kind of dug into this, this 12 to 17 is going to be a two-part, if you will, of uh, the Father's family. Um, are you glad you're part of the family of God? This section is going to be really, uh, really good for us to kind of understand what does God want for the family of God? What are his instructions to the family of God? Uh, to a great extent, obviously, the entire Bible is written to the family of God. But then there's these certain sections that, that God gets a little more granular, and we're glad that he does because uh, the granular details uh, are very important in helping us uh, live these things out. So pick it up with me uh, in verse 12, uh, Colossians 3, starting verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful evening. Thank you for bringing us all here safely. We pray that those that are on their way, you'd bring them as well. We pray for those that aren't here. I know we've got some high school graduations tonight and various things that are this time of the year. Lord, we just pray your blessing on those things. We pray those that are joining us online, uh, Lord, that they would be strengthened and encouraged. I think of uh, Pastor Randy and Michelle and the family. Lord, I just lift them up to you now. I pray, Lord, your hand of great grace and strength and healing and comfort be upon them. And everyone here, Lord, that needs your touch tonight, I pray even this word However, Lord, you see fit would minister and strengthen from the ankles to the knees to the waist, all the way up through the inner part of our spirit, Lord. We just ask that your word would do that work, draw us closer to you in this family and to one another, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, every family, large ones, small ones, end up having distinctives or values that whether they're purposefully expressed or not, they become evident over time. You kind of see, oh, that family has a high value on this, or that family places a high value on that, or uh, there's certain distinctives about families. Now, families, even ethnicities, often have a culture that is understood. There's no written anything about it. There's just a, a culture that's understood and expressed, even if it was never formally taught or communicated. Over time, a consensus, an acceptance, kind of an agreement, if you will, and even a comfortability becomes normative in certain families and larger families, cultural families. 
values and ethics and priorities, they can be passed from generation to generation, sometimes intentionally, but oftentimes unintentionally. This can be good and bad, right? In our family, everyone likes to drink a lot, right? You'll see families that where that might be true, and that becomes normative. And other families say, you know, in our family, uh, nobody holds their tongue, right? Everybody says exactly what's on their mind, right? And we count that as a real, it's a strong point for us, right? We're going to let you know exactly where we stand, right? In the family of God, however, the values are not unintentional, are they? God has sent his own son to be the model and to fulfill precisely what matters to God. You know, God doesn't have any like, oh, I didn't realize I said that. I didn't realize I was passing this habit on to you. And he gave us the scriptures, gave us the Old Testament, he gave us the New Testament. Both are equally important to spell out exactly how to operate as a family, what to prioritize, what to emphasize, what to practice, uh, what we unite on. You know, there's things that we unite around, there's things that are non essentials, not that important. Your shoe color is not important in this church. It might be important to you, but it's not important to everybody else, and it shouldn't be. I mean, we might admire it, but not important. If you're part of a Jewish family uh, in the time of Paul writing this, the dietary rules were likely very important. We've seen that Paul addresses this right here in the book of Colossians. If you're a part of the Greek culture... Education would have been likely a very high value. This is not to say that it wasn't in some Jewish families and some Roman families. Again, there's overlap in these areas. But if you were coming from part of a Roman culture, a family uh, that was Roman, you might have always placed a high priority on pleasure and entertainment. That might have been a high value for certain families within the Roman culture. But the family of God under the new covenant is to be made one into the image of Jesus Christ. This is God's design. He's going to take the whole family of all of its little puzzle pieces and make it into one. The values and the design come expressly from God, directly from God. He has writers of the scripture, but all of this comes directly from God. And I think we would all agree it has to come from God, doesn't it? It has to come from God. He created us. Otherwise, if it didn't come from God, if the, if the values that matter to God and the family of God did not come from God, guess who would make them up? We would. Now, you study history, and you'll see when man makes things up, it goes way off the rails, doesn't it? We'd come up with our own values, our own lifestyle, it wouldn't be good. And it's not good when you see that happen. But God is the Father. He sets the table. Amen? He sets the table spiritually. He sets the table according to his wisdom. He sets the table according to his will. And the centrality of his will is that his family, that would be us, not just us, but our brothers and sisters that are Baptists, Presbyterian, Methodist, Church of God, Assembly of God, 
all of our brothers and sisters that we're going to spend all eternity when there won't be any of these denominational walls. Not that, there's, not that there are always walls. I have good friends in lots of denominations. But again, he sets the table for the larger family. But then inside a family, you know, you go to, if you go to the family reunion, you've got your family, but a bunch of other families are part of the larger family. And so that's kind of the way the landscape of the church is. But within the family of God, the centrality of his will for all believers, regardless of the denomination or anything else, of the family of God is to reflect his son. God the Father wants to reflect his son in a world that doesn't know or have any interest in his son. Did you hear that? God's design for the family of God is that the family of God would reflect his son in a world that either does not know or is not interested in his son. God loved the world he what? Sent his son. If you're taking notes, you, you'll see on the screen the Father's family is the title of our study tonight. And you'll note that, uh, in, look back in your Bibles in verse 12 and in verse 17, I want to draw your attention, uh, starting in verse 12, these verses, 12 and 17, they bracket these six verses with what I believe is a very clear picture of us together as one unified family under the direction and the protection of our Heavenly Father. Isn't it good to know that God protects us? We can't protect ourselves. We can't prevent anything ha from happening. Nothing. We can't prevent the weather. We can't prevent another car from running into us. We can't prevent uh, losing our job. We can't prevent our health failing. We can't prevent anything. But God, our Father, it's under his direction, his protection, but also his plan for us. And we see here in verse 12, first Paul writes, therefore as the elect of God. That's our first understanding, that the elect, he's speaking to one group. The elect are those who are saved. The unsaved world is not part of the family of God. Does God want them in the family of God? Of course he does. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But if you are not Born again, you're not part of the elect. How do I become part of the elect? Elect to say yes to Jesus. Well, does that mean I choose God or did God choose me? Did you choose your spouse or did your spouse choose you? Yes, right? The elect. We responded by saying yes to the Lord, but he lays out here, down in verse 17, the closing of this bracket of these six verses, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. God the Father. The elect is the adopted. The chosen, but also the adopted. The adopted of the Lord, the sons and daughters. That's all of us. We're adopted sons and daughters. And then verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father. Through, he says, through him, who is him? Well, that's Jesus, our shepherd, our pastor, our model. He's the model of the family, how the family of God should look. So Paul lays out here some family rules from God the Father. They're not negotiable. 
These are the family rules from God. You ever had, did you ever, any parents install family rules? Say these are some of the, these are the rules of the road. These are the things, the highway here in the house. These are the things that this is how we operate. Well, this is God saying these are the rules that come from heaven, from God the Father. He's the one that sets the table. These are the ones that, these are the rules that God once walked out and carried out individually. Each person has to do this for themselves. I can't make a person follow these things. They can't make me, but we're all given the same rules. They have to be carried out individually. They have to be practiced. They have to be experienced. They have to be agreed upon. You're here on a Wednesday night because you all agreed that Wednesday as a service is perfectly a perfectly good night to gather. It's, it would be fine if we said, hey, let's do Thursday nights. But the rules of the road here is that Sundays and Wednesdays are when we gather. It's not you know, Paul wrote to the Romans, you could choose another day of the week. It's okay. Wouldn't be wrong. We would not be sinning if we had a Thursday service instead of a Wednesday service. But the way the family is set up, say, Wednesday night works best because it's about the middle of the week. And by the way, we didn't come up with this. The early church, a lot of times, they fasted on the midday of the week, the fourth day, things like that. So, I mean, there are historical precedents here, even some of the things that you kind of see even in our modern day. But we agree upon these things. So we say, well, this list that we're about to go through, this list didn't come from a pastor, didn't come from some other believer, didn't come from one of the church fathers, didn't come from someone in A.D. 1000 or something like that. This came from God. But we have to walk in them individually, but then we do have to agree collectively that together we're going to walk these out to be a healthy growing, effective, connected, and grace-filled church family. Amen? We have to say, look, we all agree that these are important. Now, it's easy to agree they're important because they came from God. It's harder to actually follow them. Amen? It's easy to agree they're important. It's easy to surmise, I bet these would be beneficial if we followed them. But then we actually have to do it. You can say all you want. I bet not eating as much sugar will be good for me. I've been saying this for like years now. But then you actually have to do it. I bet exercise would be good for me. Then you actually have to do it. I bet going to bed earlier would be good for me. Then you actually have to do it. Right? We can go on down the list. We know they're going to be good for us. The question is, will we do it? We're positive they're going to work. We're positive if we keep our eyes open, driving's going to go better. Thankfully, we all do choose that. If you pray, keep your eyes open. But let's take a look at the first one here. Uh, we'll just look at two tonight, and then we'll look at two, uh, Lord willing, next week. The first one, if you're taking notes, put on love. He starts here. Therefore is the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Notice uh, the opening of verse 12 as it describes how God the Father sees us. How God the Father sees us. Well, he sees us this way because, not because we were born as newborn babies, 
Me, 1969, Annapolis, Maryland, I was not born into the family of God. Born in the family of Bob and Jan. But later I got adopted by God, right? And ha how he sees us, therefore, is the elect of God. How God sees us is elect because we're covered by the blood and grace of Jesus. We're in Christ, so he sees us as elect. Uh, the Greek word, ekletos, it means picked out or chosen. Picked out or chosen. Now, actually, Jesus has picked out and chosen all who are willing. Say, would he, would he, you know, if, if you meet someone tomorrow who's lost and in all kinds of sin and just messed up, would, would God pick me? You can tell him he already has. The question is, will you pick him back? He's already picked you. He did that on the cross. The reason why we can look at the bloodstained cross and say, if you are alive, God picked you. The question is, will you pick him back? He's already elected you. But election has a two-way street. We have to elect to say yes, as God has already elected to die for us. But he sees us now so that the, the word elect can still only apply to those who have said yes to him saying, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you've done that, then yes, we've been picked out, and we said, that life preserver, I will grab it. The next word, he says holy. Literally, uh, it means a most holy thing. It, that would be a more rich rendering, a most holy thing. It's synonymous with the word saint. Now, it's not always that way, but this word holy is sometimes used, the word saint is also used. So you could say God sees the saint right there or the holier, the most holy thing because God has made us holy. Uh, you know, some people are called saints, but every believer is a saint because God has made us holy because he sees Jesus, and if Jesus is holy, we're kind of standing right behind, we're actually in, but because we're in Christ, he sees his son. So therefore, we've been made holy by the holiness of Christ. And it's by the will of God, through the Son of God, that we've been made holy. The next word he uses here is beloved. It's a great word. It means to welcome, to welcome. Would you say God's welcomed us into his family? To welcome. God's to the beloved. You are the welcomed ones. Well, one day we'll arrive in heaven. He'll say, welcome to home. This is the place I've prepared for you. It means welcome. Uh, it also means to love dearly. Beloved also means, it can mean welcome, but also means to love dearly. Remember, Greek words have more like the cut of a diamond. They have little facets of the same word. But to love dearly, and our Father has certainly welcomed us and loved us dearly, as demonstrated by the cross, and then sealing us with the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed until the day of redemption. But here's the understanding about the love of God. So that's how God sees us. He sees us as elect. He sees us as holy. And he sees us as beloved. Now, I'm glad he sees us that way because there are a lot of days I certainly don't see myself that way. How about you? 
Lord, uh, are, are you, you know, are you talking about me? The one that just had a really bad attitude or just, you know, really uh, was bent out of shape or whatever it is, but he sees us in this way, elect, holy, beloved. Here's the understanding about the love of God. The love of God, it's the only true love there really is. The only true love there really is. It's perfectly pure. It's infinitely sacrificial. It's supernatural and it's eternal. This is the love of God. The only true love there actually is. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you know that love passage, when he says love never fails, he's speaking of love that flows from and comes from God. That's the love Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. God is love. You see, if God never fails and God is love, then love never fails. Right? If God never fails and God is love, therefore love never fails. But it's only true if it's the love that comes from God. It's the only love that's unfailing. Every other definition of love, and if you've been around a while, you've heard a lot of interesting definitions of love. Every other definition of love will fail and has failed. If I said this, if I said fathers never fail, you would know that's simply not true. If I said fathers never fail, dads never ever fail. Father's Day's coming up soon. Dads never fail, fathers never fail. But there is one father that has never failed. Isn't there? One. And the more a father, an earthly father, myself and all you other dads, the more we walk in the father's love, we become more and more like the father's nature, don't we? The same is true. Just like we become like the nature of God, the same is true of his love. The more we abide in it, the more it transforms us and we start to see what the love of Christ really looks like. And other people can see it in us. And guess what the love of Christ is not like? It's not like a Hallmark card. Or a Hallmark movie especially, right? Uh, the picture of the love of Christ is the cross. That's the picture of the love of Christ. No one says, let's make a love movie about a bloody cross. No one ever says that. No one ever says, you know, make a really neat card to show a battered, beaten, crucified man. No one ever says that. That would make a lovely card to give somebody. I can't remember which saint said it. Uh, it was one of the fathers of the faith and somewhere, I, I can't remember where I read it, but one of the, uh, which saint said it, but the, he, he made the point that the express image of our faith, of our Christian faith, is an instrument of death and dying. The express image. I know everyone wears little crosses and stuff. 
Uh, for years, the church would not wear them at all. It was never a sign of the arts because people were too still appalled by it. But the express image of our faith is an instrument of death and dying. And this sums up the love-based commandments that we're about to look at right now. The love-based commandments and admonitions of verse 12 and 14 are a dying to self. Because the express image of our faith is Christ died to himself that we might experience the love of God. And let's look, take a look at him. The first one, uh, therefore, put on tender mercies. Tender mercies. Tender mercies can be rendered also bowls of mercy. Just think of a bunch of bowls filled up with water or wine or whatever you have. But mercy, bowls, bowls of incense would be uh, there in the temple. But bowls of mercy. And that word mercy also means pity or compassion. To pity someone. To have compassion towards. Regardless... The tender mercies are regardless of whether we think they deserve it. it doesn't, there's no qualifier here. It doesn't say, and put on tender mercies except for people who don't deserve it. It doesn't say that, does it? There's no qualifiers and there's no one that's excluded. He goes on, kindness. Sometimes we don't feel like being kind, do we? Sometimes, you ever, you ever just... You're in a mood and you don't even know why. I live in a house of ladies. So um, I get to hear all the reasons why this can be in my house. I've been given a lot of theories on this. But it's not just women. I'm here to tell you, I've met enough men in my life that are as moody as anybody. Yeah, amen is right. It's not just... Sometimes we don't feel like being kind, and we don't even know why. That's why you can't be led by feelings. You cannot, you, I just don't feel like smiling at anybody. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing that. Why? I don't know. I know. It's you're born in sin. It's our sin nature. It's irritated at times for no apparent reason. God's never like this. His love is always pure. He doesn't wake up irritated some days. He doesn't ever have a day where he just, I don't feel like smiling, I'm not sure why. Sometimes we don't feel like being kind. But we're told kindness to be considerate. To even when you don't feel like being pleasant, say, Lord, help me to be pleasant. Yes, as a Christian, you sometimes have to if, for no lack of a better, fake it. But it's not faking it. It's actually submitting to it. It's not actually faking it. The only one that never had to kind of even get that kind of gun was Jesus. He's the only one that never had to say, I'm going to be kind today no matter what. I'm gonna but he did yield to the Spirit. We sometimes have to... Yeah, after you kind of say, Lord, I'm going to keep yielding to it, it becomes more and more part of our nature. We yield to the nature of God to be pleasant, to smile. The next one, 
So to be kind and to, and to just, you know, really, we know what kindness looks like. The next one he says is humility. Humility. What does this mean for us? And again, this is for us individually, but inside the family of God. What does it mean to walk in humility? Well, it means we don't really need to be heard, recognized. We don't need to be right anymore because we know God is right. We don't need to be right. We intentionally consider others and their needs more important than our needs. Now, this is, this is totally a choice. You will not ever feel like this. You'll not feel that other people des deserve something more than you have to decide, Lord, this is what you said to do. Therefore, I will submit to that. I'll put their needs. We humbly decrease and go lower like John the Baptist said that he must. He said, I must decrease that he might increase. We willingly do that that Jesus gets all the glory and there's none for us. We're not looking for a name, more followers, more likes, more this, more that. Humility. The next one, meekness. It means gentle and mild. This is one a lot of, a lot of men don't want to know me known as. Gentle and mild. I want people to be intimidated by me. I want to make sure that I create space everywhere I go. I've met, uh, over the years, you, you've met people like this. I've met them in the business world. I've met them in the sports world. I've met them in just any, any setting you can think of. Gentle, mild. If we belong to Jesus, we can no longer say, well, I'm just going to be a, um, we, we can't say, well, I'm not a gentle, we cannot say, I'm not a gentle person, just deal with it. We can't say that. That's just not who I am. It's not who you were, but it's who you're becoming. I'm not that way. This is, you know, you got to deal with it. This is the way I am. In this sense, in this sense, when you look at these list of things, God will change everyone's personality that comes to him. Do you agree with that? In this sense, God's going to change everyone's personality that's come to him and will make a like-minded personality in these traits. And there'll still be differences. You might like classical music. Someone else might like rap. All, all, there's lots of other differences. But in these areas, God's going to make us into a singular personality that reflects Jesus' personality. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Well, this has uh, a couple of different, it has a multifaceted meaning behind it. Let me give you the words that, that uh, the Greek, in the Greek, uh, that, that uh, portray for us what long-suffering looks like. Patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, and perseverance. That's long-suffering. Patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, and perseverance. We can ask ourselves, we should ask ourselves, are we patient with the weaknesses of other people? 
Are we patient with the weaknesses of other people? Their faults, their blind spots. Boy, I wish I could explain to them how blind they are in that area, right? <laughs> Knowing that we have plenty of our own blind spots. Knowing that we have plenty of our own faults. Knowing that we have plenty of our own weaknesses. And some of us are better at hiding them than others. But you're not hiding them from God, are we? We're to be long-suffering, to have this patience, to have this endurance. This family thing is a long walk together, isn't it? If you have a family, you have to walk with them through life because that's the family God gave you. But then when you have the body of Christ, that's also the family God gave you because he said, oh, by the way, uh, they're elect too. And you're going to have to be long-suffering with them. It's a long walk together, but we have to stay the course in grace and in fellowship. We have to stay the course together in grace and in fellowship. We have to be constant, according to the, word, the, the, the kind of multifaceted understanding of the word long-suffering. We have to be constant and consistent and steadfast by the help of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the biggest lacking things Today, and I'm, I'm, I know it's not just today, but in the body of Christ, is just consistency. Consistency. God, help us to be consistent. Consistent in gathering together. Consistent in fellowshipping. Consistent in praying for one another. Consistent in dying to our own desires. He'll keep, he'll help us, he'll help us keep this commitment to be there with Jesus, but also to be there for others. He'll help us to keep that commitment where they're right, we're right there with Jesus, but we're also there for others. Even when other people fail us. Even when other people let us down. Even when they offend us. We still have to be long-suffering. We still have to have... Be, be kind. We still have to have meekness. This takes us to verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. Bearing, it also, the, the same word can be forbearing. Some of your Bibles may say that. Bearing or forbearing. It means to suffer, to sustain, to hold up under. That's what, that's what bearing means, to suffer under something. You're going to have some weight put on you that you really don't want sometimes. But this isn't just bearing with your trials. This is bearing with other people. Putting, say, they just stack some logs on my back. There's times in your life where other people have caused you to have stress, caused you to have anxiety, caused you to have your stomach churning. Other people. You're like, hey, it's one thing if I do it to myself, but I don't like other people doing it to me. Right? Be willing to suffer. Be willing to be mistreated. To be rejected. To be treated rudely at times. Everyone enjoys that, right? When you're treated rudely. 
at times overlooked when you shouldn't have been overlooked, at times left out, and that can be hurtful, taken for granted, criticized, even abandoned. I wonder if Jesus would know anything about these things when you look at that list. He was despised and rejected of men, wasn't he? To suffer these things and let the Spirit of God sustain us and hold us up is what Paul is saying must be done. You must bear it, but not in your own strength, with the help of God. You have to even pray for people. I have to pray for people. We have to pray for people that have wronged us, that have caused us to lose sleep, that have added unnecessary stuff to our to-do list. You ever? That's one of the things that I can deal with people not liking me sometimes. I can deal with people, but when they add work to my plate, it drives me bananas. That's the one thing, and the Lord says, you can't. I, you, you, just certain things bother us d- in different ways, right? You might say, well, not, I, I just don't like being rejected. I'm like, I got over that a while ago. But this, r- this right here, I mean, as long as I've tried to be kind, I've tried to be meek, and, you know, st- do you know that some people won't like you even if you died for them? Jesus proved this. He died for the world. A lot of people don't like him. Judas got to spend three years with him and still knifed him in the back, right? So you can do all the right things and do it the right way, and people still may reject you. But, again, that may not bother you, but you might say, well, I don't care about that, but I don't like this extra amount of stuff that I have to do thanks to them not pulling their weight or whatever it may be. In either case, they might make your, somebody right now might have made your week a lot harder. Somebody might right now be making your month harder. Someone might be right now making your year harder. Yeah, people can do that. You ever read saints, uh, biographies of the saints of old? This isn't new. But we're not just to bear it. It doesn't stop there. We have to forgive. That takes it a whole other level, doesn't it? It's one thing to finally like brush your hands off and say, all right, I ain't, I'm done with this. And Jesus says, now I want you to forgive. What? I just, I just dusted my hands off from it. I'm, I like at least said I'm done dealing with it. I'm over the drama, whatever else it is. God said, no, beyond that, I want you to forgive. What does that mean? What does forgive mean? Well, you know the meaning, but again, just to understand the Greek here, it means to pardon. To do something here, how about this one? It also means to do something pleasant and agreeable. Go ahead and bake them a cake. (laughs) To show favor. To be gracious. Here's the word kind again. It can also mean kindness or benevolent. To give. To freely give, it even means. To restore. Think about the prodigal, right? The father was willing to do all that, right? He gave him a ring. He put a robe on him. He restored the relationship. He didn't say, no, 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 no. You caused me and your mother to lose months of sleep. You were out there. You caused us so much pain. You were an embarrassment to the family. You wiped out half of our savings. Hit the road. Or if it, oh, we forgive you, but 
we're not going to talk to you. No. Forgive is to freely give and to restore. Peter asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, he said, Lord, how often should I forgive a brother? That's a valid question. I like people who ask questions. Jesus said, okay, that's a, that's a good question. And even Peter, when he asked the question, he even came up with what he thought was going to be a various generous number. He said, how about seven times? Seven times, Jesus. Is that a good number? See, the rabbis of that day, the rabbis of that day had taught that if you had forgiven a person three times, you were no longer obligated to forgive them. Wow. This would doom every marriage right there. <laughs> this teaching alone would doom every marriage. Some of them on the very first day. You hardly get out of the parking lot. Marriage is over. We're at 3.5 right now, so... And it would devastate a church. It would devastate a church if after three times I forget, uh, you three, you three, you th you're still at two, so it works it good. <laughs> if this was followed. Of course, Jesus wasn't. There were so many things that rabbis came up with that were never in the scriptures. Jesus called them the commandments and teachings of men. He's like, where do you guys get this stuff? Have you not read the scriptures? Remember, Jesus would say that to them. Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Jesus' response in Matthew 18, 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And that's not just a number. Christ is conveying a repeating. It, the, the mindset of that language is an unlimited repeating. Seven times seven, seven times seven, seven times seven. Just keep the number seven and keep going times the next seven, times the next seven. If you look back at verse 13, and Paul underscores this command to every believer by using the character of Christ himself. He says, if anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you, he refers to the character of Christ just like Jesus said, the, the number's unlimited. As Christ has forgiven you, you're going to have to forgive. It, he doesn't say, as Christ has forgiven you, consider forgiving them. Doesn't say that, does it? As Christ has forgiven you, you also must do. Doesn't say, as Christ has forgiven you, pray about it. I'm praying about whether I should forgive them or not. Have you never read Colossians? Have you never read the third chapter? Have you never read Jesus in Matthew 18? You don't have to, are you well at past 490? He doesn't say, Wait 10 years, then forgive them. You know, as, as human beings, we have all kinds of little, like, addendums to things, don't we? Well, I'm, kids are, kids started, I was going to do it, right? You don't have to teach anyone. They, they know kind of like, here's my, the response you're looking for, and here's how I am almost doing that. Or I was planning to do that. Or eventually I'll get to doing that. No, you must do, and the emphasis is now and each and every time. There's no caveats. So you also must do. He's like, as Jesus has done, you now must do. I know this is hard. 
following the steps of Jesus is not easy. That's why he's given us his spirit in us. This is not a request. It's a command of Jesus. It's directly from Jesus himself and then via the apostles. We can stop forgiving others when and if the commandment is revoked by the Lord or if Christ stops forgiving us. Take your pick. Then we can stop forgiving. When Jesus either revokes it, which he said his word changes not, so that takes that off the table, right? And when he stops forgiving, well, I don't know about you, but I've been given eternal forgiveness. I plan on spending heaven and because Jesus has washed away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, since it's eternal unchanging, forgiveness is our only option, isn't it? I didn't say it was easy. I'm preaching to myself as much as you. If you are in the ministry, you get stepped on you know, all, all over the years. It's going to happen. But you're going to have to love people anyway. And it, we all have family. No one will mess you up like family. No one will get you bent out of shape the same way family will. They know every button to push. Remember when we, we looked at on Sunday in regards to grace, uh, we can and we will only give grace to others when we are in gratitude for the grace we've received, the grace we are experiencing, and appreciating the grace that Christ has lavished on us. In other words, we have no grace to give if we're not receiving and drinking in grace. We have to be drinking in the grace of God to have that grace to give out. As grace flows in, it can uh, freely flow out. Let's not forget that all these admonitions, all that we're to put on, he says, to put these things on in love are expressed, each and every one of them, meekness, humility, all of them are expressed in command form. These do. Paul's not saying, hey, these are great suggestions, just thought I'd give you some ideas on maybe this would work in the family of God. They're all in command form. Each and every one of them. Now, turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 5. Let's just compare what Paul's written here to what Jesus himself said. Matthew chapter 5. You may have heard of the Beatitudes, right? So what Paul, when you look at Paul's list here for the family of God, it's not, it's not Paul's list. The Father's list given through Paul. Paul is nothing but a mouthpiece. I'm wearing a microphone. The microphone is just expressing what I'm saying. The microphone's not saying anything. The same thing with the apostles. But Jesus did say this. So this is Jesus directly. Red letter words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 2. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. We already saw meekness was in Paul's list. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. By the way, this is where the more we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the more we become like the Father himself. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Great is your reward. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. How does Christ want our light to shine? In these aspects. Merciful, forgiving, yielding, meek, poor in spirit, or humble. All of these things you can turn back. But again, Jesus himself expressed, and there's, there's much more that Jesus had to say in these respects. But this is what Paul is pointing to. Lastly, the final coat of paint for these three verses. At the end of these three is verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now, again, love is the summation of all of those other areas we're yielding. Love's just kind of like a one-word description of humility, meekness, forgiveness, tender mercies. Love covers it all, doesn't it? That's why Paul writes the love chapter, love suffers long, right? Love is the summation of these things we're commanded to walk in. Allow the sacrifice of obedience in doing what is right and what is holy rather than what we feel. What we feel is always a lie. Not always. When it matches up with what God's saying, it's not. But if we don't feel like being kind, we know that's a lie. But if we have spent time in the Word and we feel like being kind, well, now our feeling lines up with what God is wanting us to do. If I don't feel like preaching tonight and God says, I want you to preach anyway, should I or should I not? I did feel like it. But anyway, just to let you know, if I, <laughs> if I didn't feel like it, and there's times that I haven't, times when I've, I, I, Lord, I don't even feel like preaching tonight. I don't feel like I got much in me. He's like, you don't, you never do. But if there's times where I have been just, and this can happen when you have spent time with God or not spent time with God, and Lord, I feel like sharing your word, well, then that matches up with what God actually wants me to do, right? He wants our feelings to come into the place they match his will, but that happens when we yield to his will, not the other way around, not say, well, I'm going to stay here, and maybe your will will get to my area. It doesn't work that way, right? Allow the sacrifice of obedience. Do what is right and what is holy rather than what we feel. Allow that submission in those areas to deepen the relationships and the affection we have for people. This is a supernatural. It happens in the spirit realm. In other words, the longer we marinate with the Lord and we keep yielding to his way of doing things, all of a sudden we start having a love for people we didn't have a love for before. Not just in the body of Christ. You'll care about North Korean Christians that are suffering. You'll care about people around the world. You'll care about the persecuted church. You'll care about your neighbor. And even if you say, well, they're really rude, but they need Jesus. God does this work inside. He, but in the body of Christ, because this is clearly speaking to the church. This is not speaking to our outside relationships, although those are important. This is to the elect. This is verse 17, God the Father. We know that this is bracketed. This is, this is a family meeting Paul's calling here. 
This is inside the family. He says, we got to love each other. We must love each other. Jesus said, this is how all men will know you're my disciple, that you love one another. The world looks on and says, well, you Christians don't like each other any better than we do. And by the way, they have said that, haven't they? If you've never had someone say it to you, you haven't had many discussions with the outside world. I've had them tell me that, and I've had to say, you're right, but not all of them are actually believers. Many of the people you're pointing to don't know the Lord. How do I know that? Because none of the rest of their life follows Jesus either. But that notwithstanding, even people that do love the Lord can beat each other. And he says, verse 14, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It bonds us. You ever had to fix something in your house and you had to bond something together? I just the other day, I had to take this you know, caulking stuff and I had to fill a hole, and it bonded the two pieces, right? Otherwise, there was a gap between them. And he says, love, and the, the definition here, this is the word agape, by the way, brotherly love, affection, goodwill, benevolence. What starts out as just, I don't feel like being kind, this is how it plays out in the spirit. I don't really feel like being kind to this person. I don't feel like forgiving this person. But Lord, I'm going to do it anyway. And all of a sudden, the bond of perfection is slid in by the Holy Spirit. And then, mysteriously, you're like, I kind of like them now. But you're not telling anybody. You're, you're experiencing this. You're not telling anybody. In your mind, you're thinking, yeah, there's something redeeming about them. Well, maybe it's because they're saved and you're saved, and God will then start to work it out. And all of a sudden, little by little, step by step, you, you keep doing it. You keep being meek. Say, you know what? They never pick my restaurant, but I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. They never pick. Hey, where do you want to go? All of a sudden, you win them over, and all of a sudden, one day they say, where would you like to go? And you're like, what in the world? They just asked me where I... I, I thought they would never ask what I think about. I thought they would never ask what music I wanted to listen to. I thought they'd never care about this. happens in marriage relationships, too. This is all how it works. It builds a bond. And he says, it's not just a bond. It's the bond of what? Perfection. Relationships need perfecting. You and I don't know how to perfect a relationship until we follow the way God says to do it. He says, if you do this... It will perfect it. He could actually take damaged goods and re-perfect them. Isn't that great to know? Last thing, we've got to come to a close here, but I do want to just finish on verse 15. And if you're taking notes, we'll just make this our closing verse. Let peace rule. Now, we'll look at two more next week uh, when we look at verse 16, 17. But let peace rule. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are called in one body, and be thankful. Paul transitions from this love to peace. Is there anyone here that doesn't want peace? Have you ever not had peace? I've been saved for years, and there's days that I don't feel peace. So anyone that says, well, once you're saved, you never have a day without... No, no, no. This has to be practiced. All of these family rules that God's given have to be lived out in a really tough world that doesn't ever let up relenting against us. True? Everything will come against you. Your own fatigue, the kids, the schedule, the people that do like you, the people that don't like you, the, all the other stuff. It, it, peace can escape real quick, can it? Like who let the peace out the door? But 1 John 4.18 says, perfect 
Love drives out fear. See, love and peace are eternally linked. When we, come, when we get to heaven, you will never, ever, ever have a millisecond where you don't feel love and peace. They are eternally linked. Perfect love, as we talked about earlier, comes from God, and perfect love brings the peace of God. Perfect love comes from God, and perfect love brings perfect peace. A lack of peace in our life, I've had it. I'm sure you've had it. We, there's days you've lacked peace. Sometimes there's months you've lacked peace. If you're being very honest with yourself and God, say, Lord, I know... I, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior, and yet I still have these times where I'm not feeling peace. A lack of peace in our life, and we're not going to want to hear this, but we have to. A lack of peace in our life reveals a lack of love. A lack of peace in our life reveals a lack of love. We've been exposed to perfect love through salvation. We've been exposed to perfect love by just reading the Bible. We can see what it looks like. We've been exposed to perfect love. We believe in it. But as we've discussed, we have to respond to perfect love with faith, with surrender, and with obedience. We know exercise is good for us. Doesn't mean we do it, right? We know perfect love can be experienced, but we have to respond to it with faith, surrender, and obedience. I see... Um, I'm oh, sorry, uh, rather than just seeing the love of God, rather than just seeing the love of God, again, seeing it from a distance, God wants us to be immersed in his love, baptized in his love. This is why Jesus said in John 15, 10, he said, abide in my love, didn't he? Abide in my love. Look at his words here. This is what Jesus said, John 15. Abide in my love just as I have kept. Now, notice what Jesus says. Jesus is already setting the model that we must follow commandments. So the, the rules for the family, he's saying, I already did this. I follow the commandments of the Father. Now you have to follow the commandments of the Father. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his what? Love. That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Joy and peace Go hand in hand. You cannot experience peace. You cannot experience joy. I cannot experience peace and joy unless we abide in the love of Jesus. That's where it flows from. Peace is not something we can create. Peace is not something we can produce. It's only something we can what? Receive. I cannot make gold, nor can you, but you can receive a gift of it, right? You cannot make peace, but you can receive peace. D.L. Moody said this. He said, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All that we have to do is enter into it. But the doorway to peace, we enter into peace. We enter into the peace of God, and the peace of God enters us as we enter into the abiding life with Jesus. Receiving grace. And giving grace, receiving love, and giving love. These are spiritual truths and values that God will honor in our life. And notice where it starts. He says, uh, the peace of God in your hearts. In your hearts. We stop, 
we stop striving for ourselves to acquire and to attain and to be at ease, which is the American dream, just to kind of, man, I just want the vacation life. I just want palm trees. I want to be sipping Mai Tais all day and whatever else. You know, you've seen these shows uh, to have a carefree life. And instead, we live for the will of God, which is to magnify his glory and demonstrate his love for others. Then we'll have peace. I mean, I just saw, you, know, you saw news this week, fashion designer Kate Spade. Stuff that my girls like but would never be able to afford, right? You know, purses that are really cool looking. I mean, tragic. Taking own life at only 55, has it? Oh, peace can't be built up by anything in this world. It can't. And even as Christians, uh, I, I believe Christians have become suicidal at times and all these things. I, I, and I understand that things can really take, throw people for a loop. But we have to, the answer is still this, isn't it? The answer is still from Jesus. This doesn't change. We still go right back. Say, Lord, how do I abide in you? Sometimes it's just hold on for dear life. But you say, Lord, I'm going to abide you, in you. And Isaiah, he said, uh, the, um, in the presence of the Lord. Which one am I thinking of here? Oh, well, another time. Uh, and note, let's, let's finish up here. This was his design for us, individually and as a family. Nothing else will bring peace and unity within the family of God other than all of us saying, we're going to walk in this. Ever notice that one person can disrupt an entire family situation? One person out of peace can blow up the whole situation, right? Paul says, I want all of you to walk in this love, all of you to walk in this peace, all of you. But God has called us to be peacemakers in the world and inside the family of God, to abide in his love, to obey in love, to receive his peace, and then lovingly to do what? To share that peace with others and to do it with a thankful heart. And he says at the end of here, he says, and be thankful. Lord, just keep giving him thanks. Lord, thank you that you've shown me this. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that you can help me do this and to do it with a thankful heart as he's allowed all of these things, not just to help others, but for our sanctification, to change us because we're not as loving as we think we are. And as we get in a service like this, we fully admit, we're like, but an hour from now, we're back to thinking we're real loving. We get a service like this, then we're like, yeah, I'm probably not real loving, Lord. And later on, we think, well, I'm really, compared to them, I'm really loving. You said not to compare yourself with other people. Uh, let me close. I'm going to close with a story from, you guys know, Pastor Chuck was married for years to Kay. And the ladies actually did a study in this book, but I wanted to read this one little story from Kay that just closes it up. It really illustrates uh, the heart that God wants of love in the family of God. And this will be the last thing. I just wanted you to hear it. And some of you ladies may have read it, but if you didn't, you're going to hear it now. And some of the men, I'm pretty sure you probably haven't. because oh, It's written by a woman. I'm not going to. Uh, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Page 171, she writes, loving others. This is what it's all about right here. Maybe you're like me, and you have certain people in your life who demand a lot of your time. Now and then I've had those situations. Years ago, one particular lady used to call me every week. I must confess that when I would answer the phone, and it was her, my initial reaction was usually a prayer of desperation. Oh, Father, 
I have so much to do today. Please, I cannot do this. But then God would speak to my heart and he'd say, love will do it. Don't think of yourself, think of her. I'll make up that time for you. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that God will honor and actually put time back on the clock for us? I hear so many Christians, well, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that, I don't have time for that. God controls times. Let's stop saying that. God would speak to her heart, I'll make time for you. And he would. He's never failed me in that. This lady was very sad and lonely. She was calling because she knew she needed prayer. She wasn't looking for me to fix her problem. She just wanted someone to listen and to pray with her. And I needed to be tested. Would I wash her feet? Would I love her? Would I take the time? I've often wondered if and when I get to heaven, I might find out that those times that I loved her by listening and praying with her were the finest ministry I ever did. And that's true, isn't it? That's the family of God. The family of God says, look, I'm going to die to myself that someone else might be refreshed. And you never know. What happens eventually is that lady becomes like Kay and does it for someone else. And down the line it goes. And the body of Christ becomes like this, that much stronger as a family. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is faithful and true. Help us, Jesus. We desperately need your help by your spirit to walk out and to put on love and to let your peace rule in our hearts. For, Lord, when we're full of love and peace, we'll be unified, and, Lord, we're going to have a huge impact on people around us. Lord, help us to forgive and to let your peace change us and transform us and to, Lord, just to take your word literally to understand that you were forgiving, you were kind, you were compassionate, you were meek, you were humble. Lord, and as we walk in these things, they will become our nature as they come directly from you. We thank you for this time, Lord, this evening. Please, uh, as we head out, not only tonight, but the rest of this week, use us for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.